Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and if you're using the Bible that's in the pure chair, it's page 1008. So don't really have to know where Hebrews is. Just turn to that page if you'd like to use that, that Bible. We have worked our way through chapter 11, which as some of you, most of you perhaps know, is the chapter of faith, giving witness after witness of men and women who have believed God. Chapter 12 is... His conclusion, the big therefore. And over the next uh, two weeks, we'll be dealing with these verses. And you'll notice especially that there is a reference to Jesus. And certainly it's in the context of the ascended Lord Jesus, as he's spoken so much of his ascension thus far and spoken so much in Hebrews about the fact that they have a priest who is at the right hand of God, an advocate at the right hand of God. And as late as chapter 10, speaking of how we, therefore, can come into the holy presence of God through this one. And so now, looking to Jesus, Jesus in a, a bit different way, uh, looking to him to spur us on to the race before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, apply your word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We are needy people. We need your grace, O Lord, and we trust you to do us good according to your promise in Christ. It is in his name that we come. Amen. One of my favorite uh, proverbs is a a comedy proverb. It, It paints a ridiculous picture uh, in fact, there are two verses that are closely related, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 19.24 and Proverbs 26.15. Both speak of a guy that reaches his hand out to bury his hand in the dish to get some food, but he's just too lazy to bring his hand back. In fact, chapter 26, verse 15 speaks of his being just too tired to bring it back to his mouth. Now, the ridiculous thing is that He reaches out to do something, and unless he brings it back, what was the point? Your hand is just sitting there in this dish, and you're too lazy to bring it back. 
He's talking about the ridiculousness of starting something and not finishing it. Of course, none of us have ever started on a diet and six months later we're 15 pounds heavier than we were when we started. Or we've committed to read the Bible this year and we were on schedule for maybe a week or three. Uh, We all know how hard it is to endure. And that's the problem on a much bigger scale for these believers. And to put it in terms of Proverbs, the horrible irony, the awful eternal ramifications of their having reached forth their hand to lay hold of Christ. But at the point of suffering, at the point where it might be that you would draw closer to Christ than you ever had in your life, taste more of the richness of his grace than you ever thought possible, that you don't even draw him to yourself. That you pull your hand away from him and you abandon him. Either fear of suffering and punishment or the draw of the world and its pleasures You begin by looking like you really want Christ, but then in the end, you take your hand off and you abandon him. That's what was happening to these people. That was the danger that they were facing. That's why he turns them to the Israelites in the desert saying they got to the land itself and they abandoned God's goodness. They abandoned faith. They wouldn't trust him anymore. And they turned away and they died in the wilderness. So it's, it's interesting that Hebrews is not just pushing. It, it is obedience, but it can sometimes be thought to be just keep doing the right thing, keep doing the right thing. But the real emphasis is keep Trusting the goodness of God and don't let anything turn you away from pulling your hand back from the dish with all the feast of Christ. That he will be to you in any and every situation. We're just going to have time for verse one and we're going to look at it in three categories or three points. First. Witnesses to regard, that's the first phrase, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So, witnesses to regard, then sins to remove, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And then finally, obviously, a race to run. So, witnesses to regard, sin to remove, and a race to run. When it speaks of witnesses, sometimes we get the false picture of our running the race and these witnesses sitting in the grandstands watching us. They're witnessing our running. But that's not the kind of witness he's talking about. We rather are looking at them. They are witnesses of the grace of God in their lives. They are witnesses to us. Of the possibilities of faith. What can be accomplished by the weakest of people if you will simply believe in the goodness of God? Now, what do they bear witness of? First, they bear witness to God. That's the first thing we've got to understand. 
And he says they're surrounded by so great. This is emphasized this great cloud of witnesses. They bear witness to God. They're really giving first hand eyewitness testimony that God is faithful. You see, that's what chapter 11 is about. The greatness of God, the faithfulness of God. Isaiah 64 Verse four says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Who depend upon him, who trust him. Who's heard of a God like this? Who here we are, feeble little earthlings. okay, and we depend upon him. And he, like a glorious servant with unlimited resources, acts on our behalf when we trust him. And that's what they give witness to in chapter 11. They give witness to the faithfulness of this God. They give testimony. He's worthy of trust. They've exalted the Lord by their faith. They are commending God to us. They're basically saying, hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust Him with your life. Depend upon Him. Expect Him to do great things for you. He will never fail you. That's the message of these witnesses. Basically, you could summarize the whole chapter 11 in the words of Isaiah 30, verse 18. Blessed are all those who wait for Him. There's your message, chapter 11. You want to walk in the way of blessedness? Wait on the Lord, depend upon him, trust him and follow his word. So Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And of course, you've seen that ribbon from the sky of a river running through even a desert area. And you know there's a river right there. You see the green ribbon going through it. And that's the picture of all those, those little huddled trees. You could say, ah, those are people that trust the Lord, that put themselves in his hands. And and he says, cursed are those who trust in mankind. Those are the little bushes that you see out there okay, as you're flying over. Ah, those are the ones that don't trust God. They are the ones that do trust God. But they bear witness to God, but they also bear witness to faith. That's important because it's so easy to see examples in Scripture and just think, oh, I've got to dare to be a Daniel. I've got to do better and and try to be like this guy or that guy in terms of just pure outward obedience. I've got to I've got to work up my courage. I've got to be faithful like that in the first place. This is a testimony of those who had no strength of their own. Who drew everything from God. It's a testimony of faith, of bearing witness to faith. They had no wisdom, no courage, no sacrifice, no love on their own. It all came from their trust in God. Only from their trust in God. These were helpless people that did great things in the name of this God. Psalm 33:20 Our soul waits for the Lord he is our help and our shield that's the testimony of chapter 11 he is our help and our shield we have no other help we have no other shield 
And so they bear witness that faith can continue with endurance, even to death. Faith can never turn away from its dependence on God and can cling to God's promise as the only reality that defines life. They bear witness to that. They bear witness that you can see life only in the light of the promise of God. And we are helpless. That's the message of chapter 11. And there's no way to run this race by ourselves. That's the first thing we've got to understand. It is a testimony of dependence. It would be like me deciding, my deciding, I'm going to run a marathon next week. 26 plus miles. Now, this would be hard for some of you runners to believe, but I've only run seven miles once in my life. And I know there's some of you here, and you're already pulling yourself up, and yeah, well, uh, you run seven miles every day. That's nothing to you to run seven miles. It was incredible for me to run seven miles, and half killed me at the time. Usually when I would run, when I did run, it would be a mile, maybe three. Um, Think of me now, more overweight than then, 55 years old, and a marathon next week. Still, that would be way more a possibility than you running this race. Way more a possibility. You're like, that's not a possibility. Yeah, that's the point. Okay, that's the point. This is a race that is run by the grace and power of God. And I want to say to you, if you're not going to trust him as though your life depended on it, then don't expect to take one step in this race. Unless you believe the very first step, oh, Lord God, give me grace that I may walk, that I may run this race that you set before me. It is a race of and by the Spirit, and that's why prayer is an essential equipment. The Word of God is an essential equipment. Worship is an essential equipment. Fellowship and real engagement with God's people is an essential equipment. You cannot, you will not do it without that fellowship. Knowing and experiencing his love and fellowship with him and his people. Knowing his joy, the joy that is your strength, Nehemiah says. That's essential equipment. That's the kind of race we're talking about. Then he says, seeing, having this great cloud of witnesses. This witness that we regard leads us then to a sin then, that our sin that is to be removed. And he really describes it in two ways. This every, every weight and sin which clings so closely. He's not talking about two different things, but he's really talking about the weight of sin that pulls us down, that trips us up so quickly. And one translation would have would point to that which distracts us or that which diverts us, which is very close to the running analogy, the sin which so easily turns us aside. So it could be love of wealth or attachment to the world, a preoccupation with earthly interest or self-importance or little everyday compromises. And in light of the a further appeal not to grow weary. Uh, it's very likely that he's here 
even thinking about discouragement as one of the sins, as the weight that draws us down. The weariness, you see, experienced by a distance runner, which can cause you to finally just give up. So he's pushing us to say, despite all the hardship and exhaustion and pain, continue in this race, casting aside anything that would stand in the way. And sometimes the translation is uh, besetting sin. And it doesn't mean that particular sin which attaches to you, but it just means sin in general. That's what sin does to us. It so easily distracts us and diverts us. It's the very nature of sin to turn us away of course, from Christ. And this idea of casting aside is used many times in Scripture. Um, Romans thirteen twelve. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Or Ephesians four twenty two. Put off your old self. So you'll see that language constantly in Scripture. There's so much, of course, that is poisonous to our desire and our zeal for Him. Much that waters it down and dulls our affections. Kids, imagine running a race in your dad's shoes, okay? Big shoes, you barely can even lift them up. And you're carrying a big basket of potatoes. And then you have a suitcase in one of your hands that is uh, holding the basket so that the suitcase bangs your knees when you try to run. And then you're carrying a friend on your back to boot. And then you're just, you're just trying to, to move. And that's how sin weighs us down from the thing that is so essential of Christ himself, who is our life. Because this race is all about running to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, to have more of Jesus, to fellowship with Jesus. So this stuff doesn't fall off by itself. It doesn't wear off or magically dissolve or evaporate. We must lay aside, he says, every weight, and it's emphasized in the original, every weight, every single one of them. So you and I could say, no sin is to be left standing in your life. No sin is to be left breathing. You go up into a friend's fully floored attic. It's crammed full of stuff and there's only a small, tight little stair that leads down to the third floor of the house. And you ask, wait a minute, there are hundreds of boxes and all kinds of furniture and junk and hardware up here. How much of this are you bringing down? He says, all of it. (laughs) And that's what God says about our life. That's what Jesus says. How much of my sin do you want out, Lord? What must I lay aside? And Jesus looks at you and you might you might even look at you to kind of puzzle look and say, Darwin, all of it, of course, every last vestige of it. You don't make friends with anything in your life that opposes Christ. You don't let any sin be at rest in your life. You're on the attack. You don't, in a, in a sense, put it this way. Don't let sin have one easy day in your life. And I'm afraid sin has a lot of easy days in my life. A lot of easy days when I'm just kind of coasting. You say, Darwin, where was the attack today? Where was the obliteration of sin? Where's the warfare against that what's in your life? Are you just playing games here? Are you patting sin on the head in your life? What are you doing? See the urgency? Lay aside everything. 
everything to run this race. In a sense, you see, make sin take cover in your life. Take cover from your attacks. It should be sin should be firing shots behind walls because you're unloading your arsenal against it. No kicking back for sin in your life. No rest, no comfortable place for it to sit down. You never give sin a breather. Sin is always on the run. If you've seen the second Lord of the Rings movie, you'll remember the great battering ram brought against Helm's Deep. Boy, that would be a great analogy for you to say, this is the battering ram I'm bringing against sin every day in my life. Every day I'm on the attack. To lay aside that which... Is not pleasing to Christ. So, you see, we're not simply in a defensive posture, standing our ground against the attacks of sin and the ambushes of temptation, which are constantly, but we're mounting an attack against sin. We're finding the roots of sin and trying to tear them up. We're finding the supply lines of sin and cutting them off. We're trying to find the causes of sin and turning them over. So we are on a search and destroy mission as the psalmist expresses it. You've heard it so many times at the end of Psalm 139. Search me and know me and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, he's just saying, have at it, Lord. So don't let one thing be in my life. Now, we know we can't be perfect in this life. But don't you want to go for it at least? And that's part of our problem. Is so many times we're not even going after it. So ask yourself, what is weighing me down? What is standing in the way? What habits are dragging on me? What is keeping me from running and soaring into more and more of God's grace? Don't give yourself into the hands of sin. Don't enjoy sin Don't get comfortable with sin. Don't get in the water with sin and think it will do you no harm. And as I said, he's not talking about the particular sin which is besetting or entangles you. He's just talking about sin. Now, here's the sad thing. We're pathetic, really, when it comes to sin. You and I are easy marks. We're easy marks. Sin dominated us. Even the best motives we had were full of self. It had its way with us. We were slaves. We do something right, I immediately give in to pride. Everywhere I look, everywhere I turn. So... We must realize that only by the grace of Christ. That's why Paul in Ephesians 6, he says, Beware that you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting against spiritual forces in high places. Therefore, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His mind. It's your only hope, you see. It's your only hope. And if you're like me, all too often, I'm not helplessly clinging to the grace of Christ, realizing the warfare. I'm not fighting in the war. I'm not working on sin relentlessly throughout the week, 
praying, engaging in accountability with other people, memorizing verses that would apply to that sin. Just drifting along. Drifting along. This is a race. It is not a play race. It is only by faith, only by depending on, depending on the strength of God. And then he says, of course, there is a race to be run. Let us run with endurance. Of course, the backdrop is, as you know, the Olympic Games. And uh, during the days and nights of these games, uh, a competitor would think of nothing else. He would have no other care except not disgracing himself on that day. So taken up with the race that he is going to run. That's the picture he's bringing to us. So that we, in some way, when we put our heads to the pillow at night, that we'd be thinking with some degree, something that would approach these people that were taking up this race, this race, this race. And I'm, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, and I'm urging myself, am I even close to that? Or am I just bouncing along? Had a decent day, nothing really bad happened. You've seen Chariots of Fire and how Abrams was consumed with winning the 100 meters. Oh, that we would be consumed, right? We would be consumed with running the race with Christ. And, of course, the point here, and and it's emphasized again, with endurance run this race. Uh, The the running, uh, the, the race that they ran was an endurance race. It was not a sprint. It was an endurance race. And so the idea of the pain that you would feel after a while, the clutch of the side, the dry mouth, uh, they didn't carry water with them then like we do here. Um, all of these uh, painful things that were experienced in a long distance run, he's bringing those in on purpose. He's emphasizing that so that we would, in the first place, understand that it's okay to hurt. It's, he's underscoring the struggle and in, in saying, don't. Don't worry when you struggle. It's expected that you will struggle. Don't leave the race of faith. Don't leave the race of counting on God for everything and expecting God to work all things together for your salvation. You think of that hardship and exhaustion and pain of a marathon runner. It is hard to run that race. You have to train for it. You have to prepare yourself for it. You have to push through the wall if you hit it. You have to keep going when you don't think you can. And you have to ignore the many places you're hurting and keep running. That's what he's talking about here. So at least, uh, here's a great quote I came across. Nothing is more destined to create deep-seated anxieties in people than the false assumption that life should be free from anxieties. And I deal with that so many times in talking to people. They feel so guilty because they're struggling. You know? Can you imagine a guy running the marathon and it's his first marathon. He's about mile 16 and he looks at the guy and he says, man, my feet are killing me. I can hardly move my arms. My legs are rubbery. My lungs are on fire. I'm dehydrated because of all this. Do you think I'm really in the race? You think, are you crazy? You see, we are living out the Christian life and we're struggling and sometimes we just feel ground into the ground and 
And it's not the time to think, well, am I even a believer? Well, you probably are. <laughs> Don't think that struggle and the worst kinds of struggle and, and feeling like you can barely go on. Yeah, that's the Christian life. He says it right here. It is hard. It is hard. It demands everything in your being. And it's all by grace, okay? It's all by grace. But it, you don't coast because it's by grace. You live out and you run in your weakness and helplessness and you manifest God's strength in the midst of it. And how encouraging that he says the race that is set before us. Literally, it reads, as the Greek does many times, the set before us race. The race that God has prescribed for us, that God has set there for us. Now, that's encouraging. As hard as it may be, he set this course for my life. For us generally, because we're all in the race of faith. But then for each one of you individually. Whatever the particular difficulties and hills and obstacles and hard things in the race that God sets out for you. It is the race he has set out. How glorious. It's a race that is particularly meant to conform us to Christ, to use us in his kingdom, to manifest Jesus glory through our lives. And I want to urge you that endurance doesn't mean just gutting it out. Okay? Not, you better keep running or God's going to stop blessing you. But I'm saying this, keep trusting, keep calling on Him, keep praying, keep adoring Him, keep letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, keep Letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Keep rejoicing in doing good. Keep putting sin to death. Keep walking in the freedom of his acceptance. See, keep believing. Keep believing the grace of Christ. And don't let anything turn you away. Because you've been forgiven and you've been changed. You've been embraced and you've been transformed. You've been accepted and you've been set free. You have a new relationship and a new walk with Christ. And by His grace, you can have both a conscience at rest and a heart set on fire. That's His salvation. That's what He does for us. You and I were condemned buildings, but God paid the most extravagant price to have you for himself. The building was falling down, but now you're part of his restoration project, his new creation. Think how excited an architect would be when his design for a new museum has been picked out of 150 other designs. And now before his eyes, months later, he's seeing it come together and he can hardly sleep at night. Because his building is going up. Do you think God is any less? No, he's infinitely more excited about your renovation project, my renovation project, our renovation. He, he is, has unlimited enthusiasm in restoring and renovating his people. So he is not standing somewhere uh, Leaving you behind. It's not as though Jesus has taken off 
apart from us. Like I've done, uh, I remember running one time with these guys that really run. Uh, they're real college runners, and I was goofy. Yeah, I'll go out and run. I played basketball in high school, and so <laughs> come out with these guys, and I mean, they just just gone. And I'm like, Are you kidding? You think you're going to run like? They just kept running like that for a whole hour. You know, I just couldn't believe it. Well, that's not what Jesus does. You know, Jesus is with us. He is running with us. He is encouraging us. He is comforting us. He is strengthening us. He is the exalted one ascended to the right hand of God who says, I will send my spirit. And so he dwells most intimately with us as we struggle. As as the one who himself has struggled, as it says here, intimate with us. And that's why you and I must encourage each other. We must stand alongside each other and shout, you know, how people will drop back in a race and just talk to somebody. Just to have them by you when you're just about to fall down and you keep on going. Many times I've been able to keep running just to be able to see the feet of my friend in front of me. I love how Piglet says, it's so much more friendly with two. Right? C.S. Lewis in his Pindar song wrote, This we are tethered to hope that will promise anything without blushing. I just love that. See, God promises anything and everything and he doesn't even blush. He just throws it out there, gives us everything. Therefore, neither ashore nor in the hollow ships will any praise be given to an act on which he does not stake his life. Because the hope and the glory is unlimited and God doesn't blush to give it to us. And so, with our eyes fixed upon the ascended Christ and the unlimited kingdom, we throw ourselves into it. The analogy I like is when we used to run into the waves, we'd get down to Panama City, it was in high school, and you take off with the waves, and of course, who can run the fastest, the longest before the waves knock you down? You know, the most fun thing I've ever seen is this Labrador that would retrieve a Frisbee in the pool. The guy would throw it in the pool and that lab would jump. And I mean, it was 10 or 12 feet and you could just hear the slap as he hit that water to go after that. And I think that's it. Let's go after Christ like that. Let's run into Christ and whatever he has for us as we would just bolt into refreshing waves with joy and strength and energy, running the race that is set before us. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing else worthy of you. You're a human being. Run for nothing else than God and the glory of Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, bless your people with faith. Bless your people with joy. The very joy that it says here that Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Lord, for the joy of knowing Christ, for the joy of being like Christ, for the joy of manifesting Christ, may we run with endurance. 
the race that is set before us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Won't you chase my fears away?